author of Witchlings. And I'm Kat Cho, author of the Gumiho Duology and the upcoming Once Upon a K-Prom. And this is Write or Die. We switched it up. We switched it up. I'm, I don't know if I'm going to stick with that one. That was still kind of long. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, I feel like we have to be selective about because if we start at a certain point we're both gonna have like four plus books so if we start like naming everything it's gonna be like half an hour honestly i mean i know that like for other podcasts the hosts don't name specific projects that they've worked on but i feel like because this podcast is about writing and we are writers it's relevant <laughs> right and I feel like no matter where you come in like if you listen to the last episode first then you will know who we are not just like two random people named Clarabelle and Kat yes which sounds like a storybook two random people named Clarabelle and Kat were walking down the street one day it sounds like a Nickelodeon show oh my gosh like one of those um sketch comedy shows no I was thinking more like Sam and Cat. Oh, one. <laughs> so really, just off. because my name is Cat, and because my name is weird, so I feel like <laughs> those two things together make a Nickelodeon show. Yeah. Anyway, I was going to do a dad joke and be like, "Hey, weird, nice to meet you," but uh, I really held well, back. <laughs> you didn't, because you said it anyway. <laughs> that is also true. Anyway, um, so I feel like we never officially announced that we had moved over to Anchor. We just did it, and now we have, like, random ads <laughs> for Anchor <laughs> episodes. But we moved over to Anchor. It's a new platform, and it's kind of yeah, cool. It is very, very cool. I like it. I feel like it's easier. Mm-hmm. And uh, it actually has really cool... Um, features uh, where people can support us if mm-hmm. they want um, right from the app so if you guys want to do that that would be great yeah we'll turn on that feature I mean we do have a patreon now and we're kind of going back and forth should we just keep the patreon should we only have anchor listener support should we have both um, we haven't made a decision yet if you are one of our patrons already, we're doing a poll over there. So feel free to go over there and pick which one you prefer. But yeah, I mean, it's nice. It's all in one place. And honestly, we both have like a bajillion things going on at all times. So having like one central kind of place. Yeah, to put I feel like nice. that is easier for mm-hmm. sure. Um, and also you can leave us voice messages on oh, yeah. <laughs> anchor.fm slash writer die podcast. So if you want to ask us questions and want to hear your voice on the show, we will pick a few people who ask good things. Um, yeah. So go ahead and do that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But, but we do still encourage people that if you want to leave a review to do that on iTunes, that's just the platform yes. where reviews make the most difference to like the Mm -hmm. algorithm and if people can find us or not um but in general we do love that anchor gives us more chances to interact with our listeners our wordies yeah for sure so make sure you go on there and and just check it out and and mess around and leave us some money (laughs) 
you know, we're trying to we're trying to buy. I'm trying to buy Gucci slides. So. Oh my gosh, Clarabelle! I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's hard to know if you're kidding because you literally bought Cardi B Reeboks to match your Witchlings covers. So, like this, I could did. Be true. <laughs> I I did, but I didn't do it with like ride or die money. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. You did it with your own money. <laughs> um. Okay. So we recorded the majority of this episode a couple of weeks ago, um, but we are recording this kind of insert section um, a few days before this episode goes live. And that's partly because there is something that came up recently that we really feel it's our responsibility to address. And we definitely want to address it before we go on summer break, since this is our last episode of this season. Um, we are going to be getting to some listener questions. That was our original pre-chat topic. But before we do that, we just really want to talk about this topic so pretty much uh this is to kind of tell you guys that i fucked up um i made a harmful mistake in a past episode in a in a recent episode and it was because i wasn't fully thinking about the words that i was using or the impact that they were going to have on our listeners and i thought it was really important to not only own up to that, but to apologize to anyone who might have been hurt by it. Um, we've talked about this a lot in past episodes about the idea that, you know, we all make mistakes and, and we'll definitely continue to make mistakes. Um, but the most important things to come out of this is that when these mistakes are pointed out to you and the opportunity for growth is given to you, that you do take those opportunities and you do self-educate and you do reflect on your actions and don't get too defensive about it. And so this was kind of a moment where I had to put my actions where my words were. So it was a discussion around a best-selling children's novel. It's been around since Clarabelle and I have been children and the transphobic words and thoughts that the creator and writer of this series has said in very, very public forms, things that have very much harm to the trans community, uh, things that ha words that have power because of this person's platform. Um, our specific conversation around these transphobic actions of this very famous person was actually in terms of trying to talk about the fandom and how the fandom does still include people who are part of the trans community and how they have created or, or tried to reclaim safe spaces for themselves. Um, but my mistake and the thing that I did wrong was in trying to boil that down to a really simplistic manner. Um, I want, I was trying to discuss it in the way of celebrating reclaiming spaces. But in doing that, I ended up erasing people who are still really hurt and don't want to associate with these books or this fandom anymore because of their personal needs for their safety, their mental health, all of those things. And in trying to say, oh, it's great that we can separate the fandom from the creator, it created this overly simplistic idea that it would be so easy, right, to separate uh, the concept of the story from the person who created it. And that's not always the case for everyone. And you don't have to do that. And um, I didn't 
provide enough context to explain that I don't believe that you should be forced <laughs> to see these conversations, to have to discuss this, to have to see this like shoved in your face all the time when it's causing you harm. Um, and that is definitely on me. And I was lucky enough that one of our amazing listeners reached out to us directly and explained to me that, you know, without context, that's what my words read as. And I can't expect people to read my mind. I can't expect people to understand what I believe or what I meant by that. My words are my words. And if they create harm, then I'm responsible for that harm. And that's why I really want to talk about this and to also just apologize to anyone who happened to hear that and was in any way hurt or triggered or anything by my by me saying trying to frame it in a way that was just way too simplistic for such a very very complicated and harmful subject so uh, we wanted to make sure that we address this head on because we do talk a, a, a lot about like accountability and like you know sort of the fact that everybody makes mistakes and we are people too we mess up and when we mess up we want to try to do better and apologize to the people that we might have hurt so um what we um did was obviously we're apologizing here publicly but also uh we're editing the episode in question to make sure that it's no longer part of the conversation and then we also donated all of this month's proceeds to the National Center for Transgender Equality. And we can promise you that we're going to always try to do our best by all of our uh, listeners. We know that we have a lot of uh, marginalized uh, people in our audience and we always want to do right by you all the time. So thank you for listening and thank you so much to that listener who reached out to us. We really, really appreciate um, you taking the time to talk to us and to let us uh, respond to you um, and sort of work through what happened with you. Uh, that yeah. was really generous and um, and we appreciate it so much. You didn't have to do that for us, but you did. And, yeah. And we're grateful. For sure. And, and you know, and in, in the idea of, of editing out the discussion, you know, um, that it included kind of like oversimplified breakdown or analogies used um we definitely don't want it to be we definitely didn't do it because we were like oh let's just erase it and like move on um which is a big reason for why we definitely wanted to address it the issue in this episode um but we felt like it was really important for us to make sure that all of our episodes uh, didn't knowingly create any harm for any of our listeners, mm -hmm. that this was always a safe space, that we didn't include any triggering language or discussions um, for our very diverse listeners. And that's our main reason for deleting those sections of that episode. Yeah. Um, but then it's also the reason why we really, really wanted to directly address this in this conversation with all of you, um, because you've all trusted us to like come into your space and talk to you about this industry a lot of this industry is very complicated and nuanced and there's a lot of you know stuff that we still need to learn um in order to be a safe space for everybody uh so because we and we don't ever ever want to betray the trust that all of you are generous enough to put uh to give to us um and that's probably that's partly why we just really, really want to address this. 
Yeah. During this episode, you guys will also hear we had a conversation with um, Lizelle Sanbury about sort of the mistakes that we make before we know any better, right? Like the things Mm -hmm. that we mess up on. And like, I also have like, guess what? I've made mistakes too. (laughs) It might come as a surprise. No, just kidding. I am full of mistakes. I was born making mistakes. Um, I I really loved uh, the way that Lizelle sort of like confronted Um, something that she had written that was like problematic and like she talks about it a lot because she says that she feels people don't talk about that and I think that's really important too because I feel like a lot of times when we're having conversations about things that are like messed up or problematic um, it can it can come off as like sometimes like we were always woke like we always knew these things right (laughs) and the truth is that we have to learn these things along the way I have a well, it's very old now, like years and years ago, I wrote a, um, a I self-published a novella and it was, it had a problematic element in it. I used another culture's uh, magic and the, my intent was that the, the magic was stolen and corrupted. Right. But that wasn't my, that wasn't my story to tell. That wasn't sort of like my thing to, to, to use in a story. So once I realized it was sort of not my thing to write and outside of my lane um I pulled it from everywhere I just make sure that it wouldn't be able to cause harm anymore uh, for anyone who might have read it I think like three people read it anyway so um but I just wanted to talk about it in because I feel like a lot of times there's a lot of fear in confronting your mistakes because it can really um it can be it can avalanche into something that's like really big sometimes when it's something that you could have sort of resolved in a way that didn't have to be that traumatic for everybody involved um, and sort of amplifies the original thing when maybe nobody would have seen it in the first place and that's like not my intent I don't want to cause harm with like those old ass words so um, but you know my point is (laughs) that we all sort of like fuck up sometimes and Mm -hmm. We, we we have to try to do better when we do like I, I don't think the solution is to sort of like sweep it under the rug I think it's good for us to confront it and to say like hey I messed up too and like I try to do better these are the things that I try to do try to educate myself and like since that book you know obviously I have completely re- rerouted the way that I approach anything I think sometimes when you're a new writer you approach research from the perspective of like information about the topic and not from uh the perspective of sort of like the root of things and like where they Mm -hmm. come from and like who they can affect um especially like 10 years ago right um because a lot of these conversations that we're having are fairly new um so that's the place that i was coming from but i still fucked up and i tried to correct it but i sort of wanted to talk about it too just um just to sort of start a conversation even within our own selves about like admitting that we have all held beliefs or like done things that were probably not like the best or like even the way we explain things right because like Mm -hmm. Kat your intent was sort of not what what actually came across um, yeah, and and the impact was different, which we we all know. Um, but it's not like Kat had to reform being a racist. No, like <laughs> like like she she totally agreed with the the listener who wrote into us. But the way that she expressed herself 
wasn't the the right way and and we're all yeah. learning and I think once we learn these things once we get them pointed out to us once we learn to do better then we have to do better mm-hmm. and that's all we can do we're we're human beings and hopefully this this leads to like more growth for everyone involved no I totally agree and while I do also 100% want to acknowledge that like I I also agree that whatever my intent or my beliefs are like I do think that like the way that I said it like I can definitely see how it hurt people and and that was something that really horrified me and I'm so grateful it was pointed out to me in the way that it was pointed out to me with such you know with such thought and care and sensitivity that you know this person didn't need to do like they you know they gave me their emotional labor and mm-hmm. and that's something that I have such gratitude for. And I think that like Clarabel and me, like us discussing our mistakes publicly like this, one of the biggest reasons we're doing it is because we do have a platform and mm-hmm. we acknowledge that we have a platform. And one of the mistakes, the one that I made was on this platform. Um, and the other one, and but both of us, the um, both of the, the instances that we're bringing up are things that happened in public you know mm-hmm. like to varying degrees but it did happen and I think that that's one of the main reasons that it just felt really important to have a conversation about it um, and talk to you guys about it um, we're not here saying like call yourself out for everything you know every <laughs> right, mistake you've ever right. made we're not here no, saying no, like no. admit to every you know thing that you said in the wrong way or you know without nuance or like you've learned better now like that's not what we're trying to say <laughs> to you guys. Um, but yeah, if these examples of the way that Clarabelle and I have learned and grown, you know, with the help of others from the community, to be completely honest, it's mm-hmm. like, um, yeah, for sure. If that can help you guys and help anyone out there, then, then I really want to be able to provide this opening of this discussion for you guys, for sure. Yeah, even if it's like what Kat said, like you you don't have to sit there and like like go on to your blog and write everything you've ever done <laughs> wrong. It can be an internal examination, right? Like sit there and think about um, what you've learned um, and the, the ways that you've messed up and the ways that you have gotten better and how those experiences can help others too, you know? Sometimes when we do share with one another, it can be helpful. And I think that um, there's a certain amount of shame when you mess up especially when Mm -hmm. you are a public figure I remember like obviously we're recording this after we already spoke to today's guest um so I keep referencing the episode but I remember feeling like a sense of relief when Lizelle Mm -hmm. talked about how she had messed up and it made me feel like oh like Lizelle's great she messed up and I also messed up so that means I'm not like I'm not Satan like I can make mistakes and that doesn't mean that like I I'm an irredeemable human right Mm -hmm. which it could be really easy to feel like that yeah anyway thank you so much for listening to us discuss this um it's a very important topic but we also acknowledge that it's a really sensitive topic so um thank you again we love you all so much we really appreciate you being our listeners but now back to the previously recorded pre-chat where we answer your questions so uh, 
let's just jump in. Some of these are things that we kind of have answered, but they are fairly subjective, so we don't mind re-answering because it's been a while. Um, but the first one is from Lauren, and Lauren says, I am getting ready to query soon. Yay! Yay exciting! Lauren! Um, and have started creating my list of agents I want to query. I know there isn't a right answer to this, but how many should I have on my list? Um, it depends. Thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I was drinking water. Got to hydrate to answer these questions. Mm. I have this giant jug of water. So every time I drink, it's like a workout. Um, <laughs> so it really depends. This depends on so many different things. Um, it depends on the genre, the age group that you are querying, because there's a lot more. I feel like there's a lot more kid people who represent kidlit, um, like for certain genres than there are uh, people who represent, let's say, you know, sci-fi fantasy for adult. You know, um, mm -hmm. there there's like not the same amount of agents in like every single category, so that depends. It also just, I guess, the real answer is. You should have as many agents on your list as you want to work with, like people you would feel comfortable working with. Mm -hmm. If these are people that you feel are a good match for you, that you've researched and that you would feel 100% happy with accepting their offer, then put them on your list. I think you should go in batches. <laughs> you shouldn't be like querying 100 people at once. Mm -hmm. um, but there's no right or wrong answer for this it's very very subjective um i i'm also hesitant like if you say like you shouldn't have any more than 40 or whatever and then there's like the three extra people that you really like it just you can just put them on the list like there's no real rule it's just whoever you want to query just go for it as long as they hit those main criteria you've researched them you know they're legit um they are would be a good fit in terms of like what they represent and you would feel happy and comfortable accepting an offer of rep from them. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I, I think in terms of trying to decide how many to do at a time, cause I know people do it in waves and I did that too. I had like my first wave, my second wave, my third wave. Um, so I think that, I used to have a philosophy when I was querying and to be completely honest like that philosophy could be total bubkiss now like I haven't queried in five no even more longer mm -hmm. yeah in five years at least so at the time I thought like okay I should have like dream agents which we could go into how that's actually a really bad term to use um, I, but at the time I was like, I have a few dream agents, a couple of like, uh, really like agents that I, I really, really, really love and a couple of agents that are newer. So I think are more accessible. And the reason mm -hmm. I did that was because I wanted to have a mix. I didn't want to like query every single quote unquote dream agent in the first round and then realize my query letter wasn't working. That right. was why I had that philosophy. Um, mm -hmm. I think that the idea of ranking if an agent is like great or not is really bad 
looking back mm-hmm. on it now um, because you can't know if an agent is good for you until you actually have a phone call with them. And you can't have a phone call with them until you send them your manuscript. And you can't unless send them your the- manuscript until you query them. So, right. Unless there's like red flags though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if there's a red flag though, then don't query them at all. Like, yeah Uh, ever when in doubt just hold off like in everything in publishing that's my philosophy am i the right person to write about this topic if you're if you're in doubt then maybe hold off a little bit if you are wondering if a post or a tweet is the right thing to say in the moment hold off a little bit if you Mm -hmm. if you think there's a red flag about an agent hold off on querying them um that's fairly good universal advice um, if you're asking for general query, general publishing advice. But yeah, I do think waves are nice. Like um, mine, I think, were uh, anywhere from eight to 10 agents per a wave. And, and that was for my anxiety mostly. Like I was like, I cannot have 50 queries out at the same time. I just can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For sure. And because the thing about having 50 queries out at the same time is not only is that stressful just in theory, but then you could be potentially getting a wave of rejections all at once, too. Like as as easy it is to like imagine getting a wave of like good news, you could also get like back to back bad news. And that can be really hard to manage. So Mm -hmm. I feel like the small waves are really good. Um, And I agree with you, like once you've gotten past the first hurdle of making sure the agent is legitimate enough to put them on your query list, like saying dream agent is just so it's just pointless to be quite honest, Mm -hmm. because a lot of times like, yes, the reason why you pick a dream agent is going to be because of the people they represent, maybe. Right. Or their presence online, which is like a big thing now. Mm -hmm. Um, But every book is different every client is different so just because like they've done certain things for some of their clients doesn't mean it's going to happen for you or that you're going to be able to work well with them like of course yeah you want an agent that's going to have the connections and know where to place you in the market and has the kind of sales that you want those are all legitimate things but I really agree with you that um, you also have to realize that an agent can have all of those things and still not be right for you partic- mm-hmm. in particular. Um, and the phone call is really important because of that. And I think the scary thing is sometimes the phone call also goes great and shit just doesn't work out. <laughs> it's yep. a gamble. Yep, it it's, is a gamble. It's always a gamble. But I think we just take it one step at a time. Don't allow right. yourself to overthink like what if this happens mm-hmm. and what if this happens on the line? You can only control what's right in front of you. Yep. And you can only address what's right in front of you. So for now, you're querying just do your research. Um, make sure you're not sending out so many queries that you're overwhelmed. Um, and make sure that every agent you send a query letter to, if they came back to you with an offer tomorrow, you'd be more than happy to accept that offer. And that's it. Good luck. We yes. Believe and in also, you. good luck, Lauren. Yes. So our next question is from Heather. Um, so Heather wants to know, how do you write your first draft? How do you know when your first draft is complete? And it's time to move on to the second draft. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give advice that I think will probably terrify half of our listeners. Um, so I will, I think my philosophy is that a first draft is done when you want to send it out to other people, to, to alpha readers, to get notes. Um, I will send out sometimes a draft 
that is not even completely done being written. Like there's chapters that are still in bullet points. I, I'm like, TK, add more emotion. Or like it's all just dialogue, talking heads. And I put in a little note to myself like add, you know, and add action tags and add more description of the room. But I will send out manuscripts that look like that, messy as all hell, out to alpha readers, a.k.a. You know, Beth, uh, um, my my agent Beth, my editor, Clarabelle oftentimes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and that's because like I really, really learned to trust the opinions of my close circle that I've spent years and years building up um, in order to know if I'm going in the right direction. And I like to get that advice early on because I, if I have to do a lot of heavy lifting, I'd rather not have to do it to like an overly polished manuscript. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, I don't do that. <laughs> um, I, the, the way I write my first draft is I usually have like a page or so that's like a sort of synopsis um, of what happens. I always know how a story is going to end that's how I sort of write towards something. Um, so I always have like an idea of how a story will wrap up, how it's start going to start and what happens in the middle. Sometimes that changes because I'm a pantser. So mm-hmm. um, but the end usually doesn't change in terms of like the main conflict resolution. Sometimes how they get there does. But mm-hmm. um, and then I just start writing and I know I'm done when I write the last chapter. I don't. <laughs> go back and edit as I write I just like I just like go for it I just like really just imagine me jumping off a cliff and just being like good luck to myself and I just do it and then I look back later and I'm like whoa (laughs) I just wrote a book um I I don't really send my book to CPs that much anymore because I I'm normally writing to a deadline now and I'm mm-hmm. always behind like usually taking forever on stuff so I don't have time really um sometimes I'll send it to Kat or like to my friend Peter and be like just read at your leisure type mm-hmm. of thing <laughs> and like if you want to give me notes you can but um I mostly like just rely on uh, Susie and also New Leaf does have an in-house uh, editor who used to be an editor at Little Brown mm-hmm. and so I'll get I already went through like rounds of notes with an agent and like the new leaf editor by the time I'm on sub. So I'm already tired. Um, basically. <laughs> That's um, fair. And, and, and while I, I might write like TK, like Kat says, like here and there, I don't make a habit of that unless I'm like really stuck and I can feel that it's slowing down my momentum. But by the time somebody reads it, the scenes are filled in. Mm-hmm. So we work differently. That's sort of a good example because that's probably what you'll get from like every writer will do it a little different. Yeah. And I think part of my process, the reason why it's developed into this is that I actually haven't gone on submission with a full manuscript since I sold Wicked Fox. Um, and I don't talk about this a lot, but the last two books that I sold were on proposal. So by the time I was writing what is considered the first draft, I had an editor. I was under contract. Mm -hmm. And that changes. It really does change how you draft your books. 
right? So um, I, this advice is definitely very specific to my situation. But I, I will say if I was trying to convert it to be advice for someone who um, is writing a book to go on submission with their agent or someone who was writing a book in order to get an agent to query them, then I would say that I do still like the idea of getting other eyes onto your manuscript before you think you're ready. And the reason yeah. why I say that is because I think a lot of us as writers do hold off a little bit too long getting revision notes on our manuscripts because we think it needs to be like some concept of perfect. And it just isn't going to be. And I really, really want people to know that, that your manuscript is never, ever, ever going to reach a level where you can say it's absolutely perfect. And that's okay because there's going to be steps in between. You're going to revise it with your agent. You're going to revise it again with your editor. You're probably going to revise it with a line editor or a copy editor separate from your regular editor. So it's fine if you get eyes on it before you think it's perfect and I really really want people to remember that yeah absolutely it just depends on you know how you feel comfortable working and what works for you mm -hmm. um and sort of like what your schedule allows also because like yes. once you start factoring deadlines into the mix things might change um so yeah that's that that is that. <laughs> okay, next question, final question is from Jessica. And Jessica says, I'm a recently agented writer. Congratulations. Yay. <laughs> and going You out, did it. You did it. <laughs> Air horn noises. <laughs> um, and going out on sub soon. Knowing what you know now about the submissions process, is there anything you would have done differently your first time out? Any tips? Thank huh. you both so much. Heart and <laughs> Well, I f my first submission process was with an agent who I am no longer with. So mm -hmm. it was full of regrets, but mostly <laughs> not my regret, my regrets from like things I did. They, I'm sure they are full of regrets or they should be because <laughs> I am amazing. Um, I think one of the things and I talked about this on Twitter the other day, we have this sort of um, advice that goes around all the time about like all you can do is work on the next thing, right? And that's like mm -hmm. the big advice that we always get, like work on the next thing, work on the next thing. But I feel like, you know, that's, it's it's good. It's great advice. It's great advice to work on, on something new so you can keep yourself busy. But um, I also feel like when we're always working on the next thing, we never give ourselves a chance to A, relax and B, celebrate what we just finished mm -hmm. and accomplished and appreciate the things that we've done um because the re you know the reason why they tell you to work on something on sub is so that you're not focused on the outcome of what submission is going to be you already have something else in the pipeline but there's like a dark side to that too because mm -hmm. now you are focused on something else <laughs> so when you get the news and you get your book you're going to be really excited but suddenly now you have another project already that you're invested in right mm -hmm. um so i think that i would have taken more time to just not work 
uh, I think around the time when I was on sub with my first agent and probably the one to two years after that, I was in a really toxic cycle of just like nonstop work, 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 work. And I remember once I told you, Kat, I was like, I'm not getting the things I want because I'm not working hard enough. And that's Ugh. why I keep working so hard. Yeah. And you were like Clarabelle, like you deflated. And like seeing your reaction to it, like it was like a weird mirror moment for me where, mm-hmm. where it was like, oh, like I fucked up. Like I'm working myself si- like into like being sick. Yeah. Because I'm working so hard. Um, So like while I agree that like keeping yourself busy is is good, I feel like also you can keep yourself busy with like living your life and like seeing your friends mm-hmm. and like, yes, work on something else, but like. Don't make work your only coping mechanism because you're going to miss out on things in your life and you're going to overwork and you're going to create a lifestyle that's only about work. That's only about your books. And that's the only way you can get happiness. And a lot of people in publishing do that. And I can tell you that it's incredibly toxic Yes. Because the moment that something goes wrong, your world crumbles. You have to have your eggs in many baskets. And that doesn't mean that you're admitting like, I might fail at publishing. No, it just means you need to have something else going on too. Yeah. Other goals, other interests. You have to um, have a well-rounded life. Yes. So that's that would be my advice. My advice would be don't focus so much on the book world while you're on submission have other interests and have fun and rest (laughs) yeah I love that advice I think it's so good I mean honestly as you were saying it I was remembering that my my first querying my first submission experience ah, what a trip first of all it's the reason this podcast exists (laughs) it is the reason this podcast exists so honestly I don't think I I can claim to want to change it because other then I wouldn't have write or die, which is like a huge <laughs> positive part of my life. So I wouldn't change it. I'll just learn lessons from it. But I will I will say that um, one of the the moment that I stopped obsessing over submission was the moment that I started having other life things going on. So like I think mm-hmm. Clarabelle's really right. Like I decided that I wanted to change careers. I worked in clinical research at the time and it just wasn't making me happy anymore. And so I decided Mm -hmm. to try to apply to publishing jobs and I decided to move back to New York. I lived in Chicago at the time. And then while all of that was going on, my sister told me that she was pregnant um, with my niece who is so adorable. And all of that stuff happened very simultaneously and I didn't have time to stress about sub and of course that was the moment that I got an offer (laughs) on my book and I remember I was at my sister's ultrasound I I, it was um she was like you want to come to this ultrasound because I know you're going to move in a couple of months and I was like yes and I um, was Beth was like you have a call <laughs> with this editor at Penguin I was like oh okay yeah. and you can't have your phone in the doctor's room especially not in the ultrasound room because of the machines so I had to go out into it w- wasn't even a lobby it was like this like long hallway leading to the elevators and I, I hid behind this planter 
because I didn't want to like disrupt the mom to bees. Like I was like, there's yeah. a lot of pregnant women here. I don't want to disrupt them. So I was like crouching behind this planter, which now that I'm saying that it reminds me of another time I hid behind a planter to try to scare Clarabelle. Um, and I With guess I see that was amazing. I guess that's just my life is like hiding behind giant plants. Like <laughs> This is who I am. Um, like a small woodland creature or something. But it was super surreal, to be completely honest, because I wasn't thinking about it at all. I had a life and it was amazing. And so I love, love, love that advice. Um, I'm trying to think of something else to add to it. Like I'm actually just like killing time with a story. I would um, I would probably also say I I made like lists of editors and like kept track of them in terms of like I followed them on Twitter mm-hmm. and like I never interacted with them or anything like that but I feel like that wasn't healthy for me either. No. Um I should have just sort of like separated myself from the process um in terms of like what was happening cuz at first it made me really anxious cuz I was always sort of like checking to see if somebody had said something and like mm-hmm. that's pointless and like <laughs> You just never know what's happening. Can't read into things. Um, For sure. And I think I remember there was a time in the very, very beginning where you were like, this editor liked my tweet. And I'm mm. pretty sure that they're the editor who has my manuscript. And like, as your friend, I was like, that's so cool because it is cool. It's always nice when like you're... your presence is acknowledged by someone in the industry Mm -hmm. but I did have a small voice in the back of my head being like as a friend am I supposed to tell them not to do this (laughs) like is this unhealthy um and and I do think in hindsight as both looking back like we can see that that you like were kind of like overthinking it I don't think I don't think you ever got to a place where it was um really really bad I think you pulled yourself back before it got mm-hmm. there. But yeah, I think, though, if I was to do that again, like as your support system, I might like just very casually and gently mention like, hey, um, do you think this might be bad for you to be focusing on this? Like, maybe let's talk about this other cool thing you have going on. Like, I would have maybe tried to do that. Yeah, for sure. I think that that was all just like me sort of reading too much into things and like being anxious and being too involved in things because I felt a real loss of control in the process. Mm -hmm. And so I was trying to find things that I could sort of like get my hands in and like say like, I, I, I am being proactive or I am part of this somehow when really I just had to sit back and like wait and shut the fuck up. Um, (laughs) But but yeah, good luck on sub. Yes. Don't get too like caught up in worrying if you can. Um get a really good support system, get snacks, mm-hmm. uh do as many active things as you can, not related to books. <laughs> um work on another yeah. book if you want to, but just definitely, you know, have a well-rounded life like Kat said and just Take care of yourself and no matter, just know no matter how it turns out, you're going to be okay. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and this is a moment like, you know, when you're first on submission, you are kind of, you are creating habits for your writer and author life and your writer and author career. Mm -hmm. So it's good to start off with getting used to having 
other interests outside of writing, having other things that give you purpose and give you fulfillment because if you start off with only caring about your writing and that being the only thing that can bring you joy, it's really hard to unlearn it later. So what what you are establishing now is hopefully healthy habits that will allow you to have staying power and sustainability within the industry. Um, and, and that's a really important thing for all of us, for sure. Yeah, I, I talked about that on Twitter the other day. I made this whole thread about um, how there's no such thing as like just for now when you're overworking yourself, you're mm-hmm. like creating a lifestyle. Yep. Um, and that's something I learned the hard way because I did it myself. And undoing that is very hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I literally had to teach myself like I had to go weight train in order to like <laughs> really like I had to lift heavy weights in order to be like no more of this bullshit (laughs) but um but good luck uh Jessica we're rooting for you here at the ride or die (laughs) treehouse well I I do really feel like I live in a treehouse in this new apartment so that's very accurate (laughs) well can I just say sidebar though I'm imagining like a rocky montage but starring you and like, you're just like exercising away your demons and you're just that's really what stairs. it felt like that's really what it felt like like I was in the gym actively telling myself like stop thinking about this stop making your life books you're being a total nerd just stop it like more than books you're more than just books yeah what the hell and it worked and it worked and look at uh, me now <laughs> This week's guest is Lizelle Sambury. Lizelle is a Trinidadian Canadian author who grew up in Toronto, and her brand of writing can be described as messy black girls in fantasy situations. In her free time, she shares helpful tips for upcoming writers and details of her publishing journey through a YouTube channel dedicated to helping demystify the sometimes complicated business of being an author. Her debut book, Blood Like Magic, is out June 15th. Lizelle, welcome to Write or Die. How are you doing? Good. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Of course. We're we are so super happy excited. to have you. Yes. Um, so first of all, I have to tell you, I love your cover. It's mm-hmm. absolutely gorgeous. Same, same, same. That's like what I was about to say. I was about to say, and I love your cover so much. Sure, Clarabelle. I'm sure. Stealing all my stuff. <laughs> I mean, look Um, at the color scheme. The color scheme is like what my hair looks like right now. Are you kidding me? It's beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really, really happy with it. They did an amazing job. Uh, Thea Harvey did the illustration, which is fantastic. Like the curl detail gets me every single time. Beautiful. Um, And Rebecca Sarah Cruz did the book design. It just did an awesome, awesome job. I love it. I think... I will at some point do a giveaway with witchlings because it just they look beautiful yes. together. They do. They really do. That is very true. true. <laughs> and witchlings is such a cute cover. I like saw the reveal and I was like, it's so cute. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, that was not me at all. That was Lizzie Marlin. She did everything. I can't draw. I just got lucky. Like- it does seem like witchlings is like the cute little like 12 year old witches and then they grow up to be blood like magic (laughs) (laughs) where they're like yeah i'm badass now look at me i love that 
Um, so Lizelle, can you tell us how you got into writing, how you started off and how you got your first agent? Yeah, for sure. So I had always told myself stories in my head. That was just something I thought everyone did. Uh, I was shocked to realize not everyone does that, but that's what I did growing up. And I only started writing down stories when I was 13. Kind of unfortunately, uh, I was being bullied and I would come home and feel really sad and sitting down and writing out the stories was the one thing that really transported me somewhere else. And I forgot about feeling bad and I just ended up feeling better and happy. Um, And thankfully that was in my last year of grade school. So I went to high school the next year and that was no longer an issue. Um, but I kept on with writing. It was, you know, it had become a passion at that point. And I ended up writing my first book when I started it when I was 16. And I finished it when I was 18 in uh, 2009, in my first year of university. Uh, It was called The Pack. It was about werewolves. I was of the Twilight generation. (laughs) I was about to ask you. I feel like there's a certain generation where if your book was about vampires or werewolves and you were a certain age, it was probably because of Twilight. Yeah, we could all lie and be like, no, I love Anne Rice. It's like, yeah, okay, but also Twilight. Yeah. Hilariously, my mom tried to get me to read Anne Rice and I was like, I don't want to read your old people book. I'm going to read the stuff. (laughs) a terrible teenager. In that respect, I was very like, why would I read that? And now I'm like, oh, she was trying to teach me things. (laughs) No, it's Uh, fair. Okay, so you wrote your werewolf romance. (laughs) Yes. I love how you already knew it was a werewolf romance. (laughs) Yeah, because she didn't mention that. She just said it was about werewolves. And and Kat was like... (laughs) So obviously. It's obviously a romance, right? It has to be. It was. It was obviously a romance. Uh, Yeah, he was a werewolf. He was a rejected werewolf prince. And she was a new girl in town. Um, And they were both adults, but I said it was YA because I didn't understand things back then. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, I wrote that. And um, I did what I thought was editing, but it was really just like correcting grammar and spelling mistakes. I didn't do anything truly deep editing. And um, then in 2010, I went ahead and I jumped into querying. Um, At the time I was querying and not a lot of agents accepted email, uh, email queries. So I found like four agents and I sent them the worst query letter It was, I did everything you're not supposed to do. I put in direct pull quotes. I talked at length about my inspiration for writing. Uh, I love it. Do you still have it? I do still have it. I dug it up from my old Hotmail. um, And I glanced at it so fast. And I saw the pull quotes. And I saw the inspiration. Wait, can you read us one of the pull quotes? Would you feel okay doing that? I would have to pull it up. We will wait. We will wait. <laughs> Only if you feel comfortable. Only if you feel comfortable. Be, that would be incredible. Yeah. I don't want to peer pressure up. you. No, I was fine with it. It was just like a time. 
the hot male aspect of it is also like giving me so much life because hotmail i remember yeah, hotmail. Amazing. <laughs> although apparently like yahoo mail now goes by ymail because they're like being trying to low-key be gmail <laughs> oh really yes i will get emails from people and it'll be like steve at ymail.com and i'm like does is this a typo like how did this even get sent and they're like oh it's um it's yahoo mail and i'm like what what was that bring back aol <laughs> mail <laughs> Oh my god. I would yeah. I would respect someone if they emailed me from an AOL email account. Let's bring AIM back. Oh my gosh. AIM. Amazing. Okay, I think I have I feel like I had an older one that was like more terrible. But like <laughs> <laughs> this one, the beginning is um Dear Agent. I could not begin to describe my novel without first introducing the heart of it, which lies in its heroine, August Black. Oh my God, I'm I am so happy right now. This is it. This is <laughs> this is gonna this this is my everything. <laughs> oh my gosh! Also, uh, my interest in you was piqued, knowing you represent Maggie Stevator's Shiver, whose take on werewolves represented an originality I see in my own novel. Wow. You know what? I am applauding you so hard. Yeah, respect the confidence. You got to have it. You have to have it. I also have so much confidence than when I queried later. (laughs) I also like super respect the hell out of people who like wrote books as teens. Like I remember when we when when I interviewed Tochi on here, Kat, you weren't here yet. I Tochi was like, yeah, I wrote like five like or it was probably way more than that books during high school. And I was like, what? And, like, he was already querying. It's like, what? What? <laughs> I was busy That's being wild. Miss New York on AIM. What? Miss New York on AIM. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get back on track because this is sorry, sorry. Be okay, a okay. seven-hour interview. Wait, um, I do want to hear more. Do you have any specific pull quotes that you that particularly catch your eye, Lizelle, or do you want to move on? So in these queries, it seems like I didn't do it, but I definitely remember when I went back and looked before, they were there. So I don't know if I like sent one really early on that I then like (laughs) took off the face of the earth. You were like, delete, delete, delete. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But those are the only ones I can see. But That's fair. This one, that's... The, what, what you read to us was amazing, and I have such respect for Teenage You, and I'm so happy that <laughs> I'm so happy that this book existed in your life. <laughs> yeah, it's the confidence that gets me. I'm like, I could never imagine writing a query like that now with like being like, look, this is my amazing book, and I'm giving you the privilege of... <laughs> possibly representing it which is very much the energy I get from it yeah I mean I was um a literary agency intern for a few months and and we would constantly get query letters like that from mostly from middle-aged white dudes yeah who were like I have written the next Lord of the Rings and I'm like have you though (laughs) (laughs) I love that Anyway, so you you went on your query, your young query journey. Um, How, what happened after that? 
Uh, so unsurprisingly, though surprisingly to me at the time, no one responded to me. Uh, I was immediately crushed and I was like, okay, I guess this isn't it. Um, and then I just got busy with school. Um, that was really the first time I had an active social life and I didn't really have a lot of time for novel length works. Um, I still did short stories, but I did adult literary short stories just because that's what everyone else in my writing classes was writing. And I figured that's what I should be writing. And I made the mistake of bringing a chapter of the pack to read to them in one class. And it went over so poorly. Oh, no. I could just like, it was just like, they were so confused. Everyone was so confused. <laughs> they were like still an encouraging bunch. But it was like a completely different reaction than what I had gotten reading my adult literary fiction. And so I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll just stick to the literary for a bit. Um, <laughs> they weren't mean. It was just like, you know, when you get an energy from like a critique room where you're like, I feel like you kind of did it like this. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where people are being really, really polite with how they phrase things. Yeah, exactly. But they're also like struggling to come up with a positive <laughs> critique for you because then they'll say things like, I think this is such a cool idea. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Nothing about what you actually have talked about in the work. Um so I just like got the feeling that it needed a lot of work and I wasn't really in the mood to do that work at the time. I was really just super busy with school. Um, but when I finished school, uh, I was 22 and I started a desk job um, in which I had a lot of free time. And I decided to start reading books again because I had also stopped reading books during the time that I was not really doing novel length work because I was so busy. Um, and I got back into books and I became a book blogger. Um, I had a blog called The Lunchtime Librarian because I read at lunchtime. Confused Aww. many people because they thought I was a librarian. And I was like, no, it's just, it's just cute. <laughs> oh, uh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I was doing that. And I was, as I was commenting on other people's book blogs and becoming part of that community and joining Twitter and stuff, I saw that there were book bloggers who were also writing. Um, Kate from Paper Fury, who's the author of A Thousand Perfect Notes and The Boy Who Steals Houses, um, was one of those people that I was like, oh my gosh, like, look at her like writing and book blogging. And I decided that I was going to get back into writing. And that that's how I ended up going to my second novel, um, which was called The Light Witch, is about witches, as the title suggests. Um, but I will preface this by saying, I later realized that the book was quite problematic, but at the time, I had not yet realized. Um, I had decided, I had looked around, and I had been like, oh, there's not a lot of like disabled protagonists in fantasy. And for whatever reason, I felt that I should be the person to do that. Um, knowing now, of course, that there's lots of disabled people writing their own stories. They did not need me to write a story for them. Um, but at the time, that's what I kind of was going forward with. Um, and in not knowing a lot about the community, I had fallen into some harmful stereotypes, which I'm really glad for people that pointed them out to me. Um, 
because then I was learning and I was following people, um, disabled people on like Twitter and that sort of thing. And I was coming to have the inkling that I was not, that this was not it, (laughs) but I hadn't yet put it together. Um, And so I continued on. I queried on and off for two years um, before I finally at 60 queries decided to shelve the book. And it was only after I'd shelved the book and I'd had distance from it, like I wasn't so heart attached to that story that I was like, you know what? I don't think I should have been writing that story. And I don't think that was a story for me. Um, I know people have differing opinions um, and I'm certainly not one to like police what people should write. But for me, in my heart, I feel that that was not a story for me. Um, And I ended up talking about that a bit on my YouTube channel as well. Um, Because initially after I realized I was like super embarrassed and then I like scoured Twitter through all the pit mad and DV pit tweets. And I like deleted all of my tweets. I was like, no one could know how ignorant I was. Um, but I ended up talking about it in the end because I feel like a lot of people have that experience. And I just felt like it was better to discuss it openly um, because I really got the impression that I was not the only person doing that. Um, and I was really fortunate at the time in that Twitter and the community was, a, it, was a, it was different than it is now. Um, people like when I submitted to contests and things like people were kind enough to like tell me and be like, Hey, I kind of think this is like kind of problematic. Um, or like people that I know that submitted that I submitted to didn't write me off forever. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Because I know I submitted to you too. <laughs> Um. yeah I think that um I think that it's first of all thank you for sharing that not just with us but like on your YouTube I think it's really important for us to have conversations that sort of like show that none of us were born with all of the answers and born knowing all of these things it's okay if we make mistakes and I think what you just said right now was really important about like I feel like had you pitched that book today it would have been a way different situation right and like you as a person you are still the same person you still have the same heart but the climate is very different where there's like there's really no there's no wiggle room for that kind of mistake to be made um and I think it's probably also because things like this are spoken about a lot more Um, Mm -hmm. but I think not everybody is super online either. (laughs) Um, so I I think, I think it's, I think it's really great that you, that you, that you're talking about it openly. And I think it's important for people to tell stories like that and talk about stories like that and like realize like, Hey, we're all capable of like messing up. What matters is like what we do when people tell us like, Hey, this is not, um, this is probably not a good look, you know? Yeah. Um, because it's it's a it's human like all of us i'm pretty sure every single person on twitter book twitter with uh, the exception of people who are like literally like 13 or 12 um and maybe even them have had opinions that or said things or done things that if they said them out loud would you know be every would one would be upset about them um but yeah 
for you sure. know it, it just it just goes to show like we we are all always like learning and and trying to do better and i think it's really cool of you to talk about those things because i feel like it's not something that a lot of people talk about but have yeah. experience like you said yeah i think well we're in a climate also right now which clarabelle you kind of touched on which is like a lot of people are very on edge about like if someone makes a mistake we do have to hold them accountable but I do think that the level of accountability should vary depending on the level of the mistake made and the efforts made by the person to learn and to grow from it and I think that sometimes it's good to step back and to say like well this person who we know has been an amazing part of the community and has been so thoughtful in the way that they um, join conversations now. They're telling us a story from like a few years ago where they were still learning and they were still messing up. And if they had been discounted like three or four years ago, then we wouldn't have the value that Mm -hmm. they add to the community today. Like what if we had, you know, not forgiven them when they made that mistake three years ago, then we would be losing out on a lot of the stuff that we're able to experience with and from them. So I, I really do value the fact that like you're so open with it because I, I, it's good to kind of have this example. It's hard because right now when you look at the people who are actively messing up now, you're like, well, I don't, I don't know how you're, you're going to change. But to be able to have an example of like, well, this person has this story and this journey that they went on and look where they've come from there. I think that does help um, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's my feeling. And I think about the climate today, you know, I've seen pitch contests where pitches are pulled out and put on blast. And I'm like, wow, you can truly like before you've even had a chance to kind of. Right figure out and interrogate that for yourself. Like I'm all about, you know, telling people things and like doing call-ins and, you know, sending someone a little DM if it's, you know, within your capacity, you know, Um, that's like, Hey, maybe this isn't like (laughs) something you want to (laughs) do and seeing how they go from there. Right. Right. But like if you're on Twitter and you're a new author and you do a pit mad tweet and like, 600 people retweet it to be like oh my god so problematic and you are so overwhelmed you just kind of disappear like it can be really difficult because I used to do so many pitch contests and I think back to that and I'm like I had so much room to learn and to figure things out um, and to you know have I had the chance to do better um And that doesn't always necessarily happen now, or it's harder for people to see the time to do better. Um, Like Kat was saying. Uh, So yeah, that's definitely part of the reason why I wanted to talk about it for sure, because I feel like a lot of people end up in that situation and they like, you know, it's more instinctual to go back and hide everything and never talk about it and hope nobody ever finds out. (laughs) But I think there's a lot of value in like, talking about things and kind of interrogating that especially for me because I was talking about when I was learning these things and I kept trying to fix the book fix the book fix the book I really only understood that it was problematic after I had like quote-unquote failed at querying Um, and things could have been very different if I had not and if someone had picked up the book 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I I think that the thing you said about Collins is so important because I feel like they could be a lot more effective. I feel like call outs are more for a pattern of like really bad behavior that hasn't been has it where Collins haven't worked. Right. And it's hard because it's like you don't want to tell people like they have the responsibility to reach out. But that person has to have at least one friend. Right. <laughs> like <laughs> you have to have at least one friend. And like. My whole thing is like a lot of times it's a thing that nobody would have really seen or not many people would have seen had it not been for like the giant brouhaha made around it, right? So then it's like we're going to make this into the hugest possible thing and then we're going to ask you how you're going to take accountability for hurting all these people who saw this thing because we blew it up. And I think that that can be – when it comes to someone who's making like an innocent mistake or a mistake based on like l- lack of like information or knowing and is a new person in the community who just doesn't know, it can be traumatizing. It can mm-hmm. literally be traumatizing. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Um, let's get back to your journey. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, For Luceli Luna, ghosts are more than just the family business. Shortly before Halloween, Luceli and her best friend Sid cast a spell that accidentally awakens malicious spirits wreaking havoc throughout St. Augustine. Together, they must join forces with Sid's witch grandmother Babette and her tubby tabby chunk to fight the haunting head-on and reverse the curse to save the town and Luceli's firefly spirit before it's too late. With the family dynamics of Coco, an action-packed adventure of Ghostbusters, Clarabel A. Ortega delivers both a thrillingly spooky and delightfully sweet debut novel with Ghost Squad. Order today at buyghostsquad.com. So at what point did you finally land your agent? How did that happen? Um, So that was with my, well, with Blood Like Magic, which is my third book. Um, so I had written that during 2017 NaNoWriMo. I'd actually started with a different book, but I had had this idea for a book about a family of black witches. Um, and I'm from Toronto, but I wasn't living in Toronto at the time. And I was very, very homesick. And I wanted to immerse myself in the place that I grew up. And so I decided I'm going to set it in Toronto. And then I put it in the future just because that seemed fun. (laughs) Uh, and then I wrote it. I wrote it in the rest of NaNoWriMo. So it was really closer to like 20 to 25 days. And then I told myself, you're going to edit this for a year. No agents, no contests, no nothing. Sit down and edit this for a whole year. Um, because something I'd also learned from my past querying was that I would not edit enough and then I would send it out and then I'd get feedback from agents and then I edit it more and then I do that over and over again. Um, and by the time I was getting positive results, I had already lost out on a lot of um, people to query. So I went in with that pact. Um, I very nearly did it. I had joined a contest called uh, RevPit, um, which is where a freelance editor helps you with your work. Um, there's no agent round or anything, but they help you edit. And I worked with Sion Ashleman, um, and he is an amazing editor. I had such a good experience with her, and basically rewrote half of the book in a month. 
And then on the day that the contest closed or the mentorship closed um, was pit mat. And so I had a week left in my year long pact, but I told myself that it was okay. I had edited enough and I threw it out there um, and I immediately started querying. And that experience was like night and day <laughs> to all my other querying experiences. I really felt like making that promise to myself to take the time to edit it had paid off. Um, and in a month and a half, I signed with Christy Hunter at the Night Agency, who is the offering agent. I got one other offer, but I ended up going with Christy. I just felt like she really understood the book. Um, she really had a connection to it. I liked her ideas. Um, I also liked that she had an editorial background because I really wanted an editorial agent to help me. And I signed with her. And uh, yeah, we worked on the book for six months. Um, I rewrote half of it again <laughs> because I realized I didn't have any subplots. Um, which so Christy much work. <laughs> it was a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, I've really... Uh, I, since then, I've become a lot more of a plot-heavy writer um, because of that and all the edits I had to do because I didn't have, like, a strong structure with my book. Um, but, yeah, I'm really, really happy uh, Christy introduced me to subplots because we were on the phone and she was like, your book has no subplots. And I was like, oh, yeah, for sure. And in my head, I was like, what are subplots? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I love that. <laughs> you were like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, I know, totally. I know. And you're like Googling subplots, <laughs> <laughs> like on the side. Yeah, like totally subplots. <laughs> exactly what happened because I was like, oh, I just got this like fancy literary agent. I don't want her to think I don't know stuff. Um, so I did that, but it completely changed the game with my writing. And when I was querying, I had gotten some feedback that my structure seemed off. And uh, that's why my structure was off, um, which is why I'm really a believer in when people say, you know, the right agent will work with you on your book, um, because I'm sure Christy could see that, but she had enough passion for the project that she was like, well, I'll work with her and we'll fix it. Um, so we did that. And then we went on submission. Um, I think I actually have the date here. We went on submission in January of 2019. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, as submission goes, you know, I was really excited the first week because the way that she does submission and she asks the editors if they want the full manuscript and like almost all of them said yes, which I now realize is like more common than I thought at the time. But I was like, oh my God, these like New York editors want to read my book. And that was such a high. And then after the first month, it was no longer exciting. Oh. So, oh. Because then the waiting sets in and it's like, okay, but I was still really hopeful because I knew that like selling in the first month was a very special snowflake, you know, unicorn kind of thing. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I could still definitely sell a book it's not like a huge worry um and then we got responses trickling in the second month and then the third month was complete silence um and that's i think i think it was like i think i've been already listening to the podcast but that was where 
listening to the Ride or Die podcast was super helpful for me because I understood that I wasn't in some ridiculous time frame. Um, I think when you don't really know that much about submission, you're like, oh my gosh, like, is this too long to wait? Is this what have you? And um, it really helped listening and knowing, like hearing other people's journeys and realizing how different they could be um, and how you can still achieve that dream of, you know, being published, even if you're on submission for a long time, even if you don't sell the first book or the second book. Um, so that was really encouraging to me at the time. Um, and uh, yeah, and then going into the fourth month was when uh, Sarah McCabe at uh, what was then Simon Pulse sent us an email to say, I'm reading and I'm really enjoying it and I'll let you know when I finish. And, and oh. so that was super exciting. Yes. I was about to say, how did you feel? Because that's yeah. got to be like, oh my gosh. So like amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I was so excited. I was like, yes, yes. We're like going somewhere. And I was excited because I was like, maybe we'll go to second reads, um, which is when they like, send it to other people in the publishing house to read so that they can have support um, if it goes to acquisitions, which is like the next step and when they decide to purchase or not purchase your book. Um, so I was eagerly awaiting because I was like, maybe we'll go to second reads. Um, and then I got an email from Christy a week later that was like, can we hop on the phone? Which is like, when your agent is like, can we hop on the phone? I don't know if this is for everyone, but like definitely for my agent, it's good news. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Something's happening. <laughs> yeah. Something positive. Like, I don't think she would call me. To, she would never call me to like send me a rejection. So I hopped up. I was at work. I worked in a very millennial office, so nobody cared what I did. <laughs> so, Amazing. I love that description. <laughs> yeah. So I just took the call right away, sat in a little alcove. Um, and I thought we were going to, she was going to tell me we were going to second read. So I was like so excited to go to second read. Um, and then she said, we have an offer. And I was like, oh, shit, okay. <laughs> it was not at all what I expected. I was like, it's only been a week. I was like, did we already do second reads acquisitions? I don't even know what happened in between mm -hmm. that time um, but we got the offer for a two book deal. Um, and I was super, super excited, um, especially because um, earlier on, my fr now friend, uh, Ashley Shuttleworth, they're the author of The Dark and Hollow Star, um, also live in Toronto. Their book is about um, also an urban fantasy set in Toronto. And Sarah bought that shortly before. And so I told myself, there's no way she's going to buy another urban fantasy set in Toronto. There's absolutely no way, but uh, it did happen. Oh my so. gosh. There's no rules in publishing. Yeah. Zero. <laughs> like, oh, that is complete so chaos. I love that story. I love knowing like where you were, like when you found out, like I love all that stuff. I really picture it in my brain and it's just so exciting. Also, can I say thank you for telling us that like Ride or Die helped you through your submission process because that's like the reason why this podcast exists to like help writers realize that their situation is not as bad as they think it is um, or that it's a lot more common than they think it is. Um mm -hmm. And make them feel less alone. So, like, that means everything that the podcast was able to help you even a little bit. 
Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, that I was so grateful for it because I was listening to every podcast. I mm-hmm. <laughs> Stay distracted. But, you know, that was the podcast that was really like I felt comforted in my specific situation. Oh, yay. Yay. That's so good. So Blood Like Magic, by the time this airs, Blood Like Magic is going to come out tomorrow. Woo! We're in the future! We are in the future. (laughs) But can you tell everyone really quickly what this book is about so that they can pre-order it right away? Absolutely. So Blood Like Magic is about a family of Black witches living in a near-future Toronto. Um, In particular, it's about 16-year-old Voya Thomas, who, when she fails the ceremony to come into her powers, is given a second chance by her ancestor. But this time, the stakes are higher, and if she fails again, not only will she lose, not get magic, but everyone in her family will also lose their magic. And the thing that she has to do is kill her first love. Um, and she's oh. never actually been in love, but uh, lucky for her, a new genetic matchmaking program has just hit the market, and she has signed up only to be paired with a boy who she's had a very poor first impression with. Um, and chaos kind of ensues from there. Oh, every every new sentence brought like a new adventure in my brain, like. <laughs> It was just, you know, those headlines that keep getting better as you read them. Mm-hmm. That's what that description was. It's like chills. <laughs> like the idea that she so has good. to find a guy to fall in love with so she can kill him. Like, hello. This is so amazing. So many possibilities <laughs> of things so that many. could go wrong. I'm just very excited for you. I cannot, I cannot wait for this book to be out there. So um, you also sold another series and i saw i so i i watch your youtube channel which i i love your i love your little um your vlogs your writing vlogs they kind of like thank you i feel like writing vlogs are just like a really comforting thing to have on like Mm -hmm. have it on in the morning drink a cup of coffee it's really relaxing um but what i really love that you do on your youtube channel is that you kind of give a lot of real talk, which, you know, obviously, you know, Clarabelle and I love the real talk when it comes to publishing. And you base a lot of it on your own experiences, on what you've been through in publishing. Um, I really loved your video. That's like the reality of, um, of smaller advances. And then your video about like selling your new series and selling it way different than how you sold your debut series and how that made you feel and your experiences with both of them so like how like what is your goal with like your YouTube channel is it just to be like share your journey or like are you really hoping that like it kind of demystifies the publishing industry more I feel like it's definitely a combination of both like sometimes I do videos because I do really want to draw attention to a topic in publishing and kind of do the thing of where I share some of my experience, but I also share like some thoughts I have about it because I hope that it people find it relatable um, and that if they it's not related to their specific situation, it at least highlights something um, that maybe hasn't been highlighted as much. Um, that was something I really had wanted to talk about with the video about advances um, because I'd had 
such an unexpected experience um, in that I, in many ways, felt very judged um, when I shared the advance amount that I had gotten for Blood Like Magic. Um, and I wanted to talk about that because I felt like there was this idea of what is like a quote unquote good advance and what is not. Um, and that was half my personal experience and like half um, showing things. Um, and that's the same with talking about my new book deal because it was so very different from how Blood Like Magic came about. You know, I sold with a new genre. It sold very fast um, in comparison to my other book. And it was um, a six-figure deal as opposed to a modest advance. So it was a very different experience. And I wanted to talk about the two because I feel like the thing that happens or that I've seen happen when you announce like a flashy six-figure deal um, is that because that's the thing that people announce, there's a skewed idea of what a normal advance is or what a good advance is. Um, and it's especially funny to me now, like, you know, now that I'm deeper into my book coming out, um, it hasn't mattered in the scheme of like who knows about my book and like mm -hmm. whether my book has gotten accolades or anything like that. Um, I was doing a debut chat with um, the other 21 debuts and one of the authors had thought I was a lead title and I was like, oh, I'm actually not. Um, and so it was interesting huh. to me because of how different the outside perception is now mm -hmm. um, versus when I was originally, you know, discussing my deal um, and trying to be transparent about advances and having a negative reaction. Um, so that's kind of why I like talking about those things. Were people mean to you? When you say negative reactions, you mean like they were upset on your behalf or like what, what exactly? Uh, I mean, like I told them and then they would go, oh, Oh, so they were jerks to you about and it. And then it was silent. Oh, how dare. Yeah, it's like that critique group, like that 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 creative writing class where yeah. no one understood what you were trying to do with your book. Oh, gosh. You know, I, perception is so interesting to talk about in publishing because it, mm -hmm. it is very true. Like when things like that happen, people make assumptions about you about your deal about so many different things and it's just for them for it to change the way a person treats you I just feel like it's so deeply shitty <laughs> um mm -hmm. I, like it just makes me so angry um I remember once um uh, V Schwab talked about how um I think it was like at Book Expo, a newer author came up to her and was like, oh, yeah, my advance was six figures, too, or something like that. It's like an intro. And it felt yeah, like very much like now. Yeah, like very much like you can be friends with me because I also got a lot of money. And like Vishwab was like, that's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I'm so glad that she said that out loud, both because I hope that person was a little bit embarrassed. Um, uh, <laughs> she didn't say who it was, but, you know, like secretly, like I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but well, also, also, sorry, I just wanted to say one more thing. Also, also to sort of like make it well known that that is not an okay way to operate. People still do it, but it's just not all right. It's not. And honestly, people who operate like that are, they're, they're ignorant because the way the industry works 
it's not like every single publishing house has the same rubric of what they will pay for a certain book. Um, every publishing house has a different um, profit and loss, a, a different P&L that they write up when they want to buy a book. And every publishing house has a different minimum and maximum ceiling that they set for their editors. And the only reason I know this is because I was an editor. I worked on the other side of of the table I wouldn't have known this otherwise but even if you don't know this information you shouldn't be judging someone based on how much money they're getting paid if only because we know for a fact that BIPOC are underpaid in this industry so there's like a lot that goes into what a person is getting paid for their book and a lot of it is rooted in in bias that this industry was built on and on and I will also want to say that like you're not like you're not doing yourself any favors if you're only associating with people who like made enough money to be cool enough like that's not the rubric to figure out if someone will be a good friend to you i've heard awful stories about this stuff i've heard like um horror stories about people being like oh if you aren't being published by us by certain publishers that i deem to be cool enough then you can't sit at my table and and i find that to be abhorrent and like someone a shitty person can be published by a big five just as easily as published by a small indie press. Like it's, it's all, it's all the same, you know? Right. Right. Also calm down because like you can get a six figure advance now and your next deal could be non-existent or tiny and -hmm. all the people you've surrounded yourself with, you've made sure that that's the, that's the criteria for them being your friends. Mm -hmm. So it's going to come back and bite you in the butt. For sure. For sure. And I would just yeah. like to point out that Blood Like Magic has two starred reviews. Bow, bow, bow. And that's nothing that it can be bought. <laughs> so Two star reviews. Is- You're on Ride or Die. Me and Kat have your back. All the wordies have your back. There's thousands of us and we're all going to buy 20 prerequisite copies. Okay, everyone? <laughs> Make sure you're ordering right now. You can order as you listen. Like, yeah. come on multitasking is a thing and and we encourage it um (laughs) but yeah so um so anyway going back to talking writing with you so you said that your next book is a little bit of a different category than blood like magic what was it like to jump to a different genre um from your debut duology which are you are you also still writing the sequel to blood like magic I'm editing it right now, <laughs> not right oh. this moment, but like I am in my uh, first uh, editor edit. Exciting. Awesome. Yeah. So how is it kind of going back and forth? Do you have a method that you like to do to go back and forth between the duology versus the new book? Or do you like separate them? Like, what do you do? So they were pretty separate because I wrote... Um, the new book, which is called Butcher Birds, um, it's like a YA book about a girl and her mother who inherit a house, a mansion in northern Ontario uh, that houses secrets. Um, and I started writing that like in the midst of everything. Um, so I finished writing that in NaNoWriMo of 2019, um, which was like, in and around the time of selling Blood Like Magic. So I'm just the sort of person where I just like, 
I work on the next project, next project, next project. <laughs> um, I'm always thinking forward. Um, and I'm thankful that I write pretty quick. So then I'm able to do that. Um, but yeah, I was really excited to hop into it because I am very obsessed with like horror movies and stuff. I'm very obsessed with haunted houses. And mm -hmm. I wanted to give writing a horror a shot. Um, I will say Butcher Birds is kind of on the line of like horror, psychological suspense. Um, it's a, it ended up being much more of a genre blend, but that was really what I set out to do. And I was so excited to write something very different um, because I've been doing fantasy for so long and Blood Like Magic is in fact like the second witch book I had written. So it was kind of nice to <laughs> not only be doing witches anymore and to dive into that. Um, and it was really like this, Butcher Birds is a lot more cerebral, I would say. Um, there's a lot of inner conflict, very deep, complicated family relationships, which exist in Blood Like Magic, but these ones are like even deeper because they're concentrated on a single mother and her daughter. So it's very like two people orbiting very heavily around each other. Um, and it was just like really nice to write it um, and to write something so different in tone, which also made me feel really comforted because I think it's like a common writer fear to kind of worry that all your books are going to be the same. Um, and because this was so different in tone, it really let me not feel like that. Um, and I just really got into like, you know, being creepy and like <laughs> story <laughs> aspects um and things like that um and yeah and this book does deal with you know um being a, a sexual assault survivor um and that was the first time I'd ever written about that um and mm -hmm. so then it was also really it felt very personal in a different way than blood like magic feels personal um but also really cathartic so I had a really fun time writing it I really love it. It's I love <laughs> like I love all of my books once I'm not furiously editing them. Um, <laughs> that is a mood. That is such a mood. <laughs> yeah. Once I have distance from them, I love them so much more. It's actually a rare instance in writing the blood like magic sequel doing the edits that I'm like, I do actually still love this, but we'll see when I'm on second pass pages. But um yeah, I really love Butcher Birds. I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited to know that it's going to be coming, even if it's coming in a while from now in 2023. But yeah, I'm super excited about my, I've been calling them my thorny girls. Um, there's some things about thorns <laughs> and they're also just generally grumpy. So <laughs> <laughs> generally grumpy. I love that so much. We'll put links for um, Butcher Birds in the show notes too so people can add that on their tbr and goodreads so that they yes. do not forget by the time 2023 rolls around that they want that book okay lizelle so everyone who's on ride or die either tells us their most embarrassing publishing related story or something they wish they'd known before they started you can do either or you can do both it's up to you i will do both but i will preface the embarrassing moment on saying all my embarrassing moments are just embarrassing to me they occur within my head. <laughs> Nobody else involved cares. I'm the only person that cares. But I think this will be kind of funny because it does involve you, Claire Bell. 
Oh, I'm excited. Yes, I'm excited too. My embarrassing moment involves Clairebolt because Clairebolt caused it. Yeah. Yes. I do that a lot. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, that's a different, uh, that's a whole different. That's a different category. <laughs> <laughs> and I do it again. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it was uh, Bacon 2019, RIP Bacon. Um, It'll come back. Don't worry. Seriously. <laughs> Um, but I was there and to preface this, I have a bad habit in which I don't think people will recognize me or know me for mm-hmm. whatever reason. So when I look at someone and I recognize them, I immediately look away so that I don't have to be embarrassed when they don't know me. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm following. <laughs> bad habit. Yeah. Um, so I saw Clarabelle, and of course I was excited because I'm a writer die stan. Um, but then I was like, oh my gosh, they're not going to know me. And I immediately looked away. But then <laughs> you, Clarabelle, looked at me and you were like, I know you. Of course, you were like that. <laughs> and I died inside because I was like, Lizelle, you did that horrible thing that you do where you look away. Um, but yeah, I was very happy to have met you, but yeah, that's one of those things that's like mortifying in my head, but I'm sure on your end, you were like, totally fine. I was totally fine. Do you know why? I probably recognized what happened because a lot of times people will see me at like an event and then they'll just tweet. I saw you, but I didn't say hi because I was nervous or afraid or whatever. And I'll be like, why didn't you just say hello to me? (laughs) What the heck? Um, so I feel like I've I've come to recognize the pattern of somebody like being like, oh, I'm going to say hi to this person, but maybe I can't or I, I'm I'm not sure about it. And then like the person runs away. So I was like, no, you don't. <laughs> You're going to come say hi to me, Lizelle. <laughs> oh, that's absolutely the person I am too, totally. I would just run away. And then I would have like told all my friends. I would have been like, I saw Clarabelle. And I would have never said anything otherwise. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I caught you. <laughs> As someone who's actively constantly trying to hide from Clarabelle in order to scare them, um, they're so good at spotting you. They're like really good at seeing someone in the crowd. I, I've tried hiding in so many different locations to jump out. <laughs> at the last minute and they always see me first so it's real hard with with cat it's even worse because i feel like i can sense your presence yeah like, we're like our psychic link uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, both you and ryan because ryan and i are are usually dressed exactly the same mm-hmm. so um, ryan just pretend bo- to be a mirror and be like <laughs> right we're both wearing some sort of glitter chunky accessory pink something or a turtleneck and um cat yeah we were psychically linked so but i love that that i think that's the first embarrassing sort of embarrassing story uh that involves one of us yeah <laughs> I, I wonder if other people have embarrassing stories that they just haven't told us because they think it's too awkward i would be i would be so mad <laughs> If, like I'm not even kidding. If you did that and you were a guest, you better tell me right now. Yeah, you better come back on the podcast and retell the story. <laughs> We're gonna have a special episode dedicated to, <laughs> to just that. Um, oh, um episode. <laughs> yes. Yeah, something I wish I'd known. And I talked about this a bit earlier. Was just kind of understanding 
how different everybody's journey could be um, beyond what you see, you know, kind of advertised or on the face of Twitter. Mm. Um, you know, not everybody getting like flashy six figure deals in like six days of being on sub. Um, and even if you don't get a flashy deal like that, your book can still do really well. Um, even if it takes you, you know, 10 years and 10 books to get that deal, you can still achieve that dream. Um, I think when you're in the midst of like querying and things like that, it can be really difficult to see that far ahead. Um, it just feels like you're like drowning in the despair of this book right now isn't working out for me. Um, and so that's definitely something I wish I had known earlier on was how varied those journeys could be to still end up at, you know, having the dream of having your book published come true. Um, so yeah, that's really the big thing for me. That's a great one. That's really a great one. Cause uh -huh. it can be so deceiving to see how everything is unfolding online and think that's really just how publishing is. There's so many layers to everything. Mm -hmm. um, Zell, thank you so much for being on the show. We're so excited for you. Everybody go right now and pre-order. You can still pre-order Blood Like Magic. Comes out tomorrow. We're so excited about it. Can't wait to read it. Wishing the best for your debut, Lizelle. Yeah. And wait, before we let you go, tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. Oh, I am Lizelle Sambury everywhere. And my website is adopt.ca because I'm obnoxiously Canadian. Um, I'm on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, I have a somewhat used TikTok and on YouTube. Yay. Awesome. And we'll link it all in the show notes so everyone can go and follow Lizelle on there social media of choice <laughs> but thank you again for being on the podcast we had such a fun time talking to you thanks for having me thanks for listening to write or die be sure to check out wicked fox by cat Cho and ghost squad by clarabelle a ortega and while you're at it make sure to subscribe to us on itunes and leave us a review see you next time wordies and don't forget to spread the word write or die is brought to you in part by t public Tee Public is home to independent art on stickers, cases, shirts, and more. Check out our Write or Die store at tpublic.com slash stores slash Write or Die podcast. Check it out now. <laughs> <laughs>